our soul. That we can come together and magnify His name. For His name is above every name. His presence overwhelms us because He is worthy of all praise. We thank you, Father. We thank you for your anointing that's in this room too. We lift up our hearts to you, Lord, and we say thank you, Lord. We thank you for the finished work of the cross. We thank you for the precious blood of Jesus. That precious blood that allows us to go into the throne of grace. That allows us to be named in your kingdom. Our names are written in your book. We've been adopted as sons and daughters. That blood that you shed for us, Father. That we overcome Satan. And we stand here in victory. And we lift up holy hands. And we say thank you for the finished work. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you, Father, the work you started in us, you will complete. We give you all the glory. Jesus is all, he is all in all. He has all authority. We thank you for your mercy. Your mercy is new every morning. Hallelujah. We honor you, Father. We thank you for what you're about to do tonight. We never take it for granted. We never get apathetic. We never get familiar with your presence. We come in awe of you because you're about to do something you've never done before. We get to participate as children at the table of grace to eat what the Lord has for us. And we thank you for that. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. You can be seated. Thanks, worship. Round of applause to the... Thank you for what you guys do. The rabbi says it and, and we mean it. The guys that serve behind the scenes, set up chairs, Everything that is part of the family, you know, we can't function, a body can't function just on one limb. We all participate together and we, we make this possible that we can meet and have God's grace and favour upon our life, amen, to reach the lost. Sometimes we forget that our job is to preach the kingdom of God, repent and receive the kingdom. So we're in the kingdom, Amen. We're part of his glorious plan on this earth. God doesn't make mistakes. And I um, just want to encourage everyone today to shake off what's happened this week. And let's just dig into what God's trying to do. Just quickly, the, the kids are gone, yeah? The kids still here? No? You can go. <laughs> They're gone. Beautiful. Um, every week we say it, uh, you can jump on all these facilities and... and Keep up to date on what we're doing here in our ministry. And you can go back to sermons and um, download. I think it's on all these Spotify, Instagram, YouTube, um, Facebook. 
you know, all the devil stuff, you know. That but we'll be taking darkness and turning it into light, amen? Amen? Don't listen to us and go listen to, you know, someone else. Listen to us. Just quickly, have we got a photo, boys? Um, Will and Kirsty, everyone knows Will and Kirsty. Um, Will does a lot of our shirts, our printing and that. A little Ezekiel, um, he's in hospital right now. He's got an infection and they've got him uh, in, on a life support system at the moment just to control the bacteria. They found it and they're in hospital at the moment. So I just thought if we could stand for this because um, he, he was born premature. He had some complications, but he's a mighty warrior of God and he got through that and now we, they need our support in prayer and um, they're at the children's hospital at the moment and they're listening online and um, he sent me some other photos but uh, I spoke to Dorian he said not to show them because we show him he's healed. That's how we see him. We don't see him any other way. We don't see him broken, busted. We see him healed. You know, Peter says that by his stripes, amen, he's healed. But this is interesting that when two or three gather, see, sometimes when we pray for healing, we'll pray for something. It's like we're begging God to do something. But we, why would you beg for something he's already done? See, why would we go and pay for something that's already been paid for? You know, we're not asking God for something he's not willing to do. We have to stand in the gap and ask God to manifest what he's already done. It's what is, see, we don't go by, see, in, in, in Isaiah it says, have you believed our report? In Romans it says, have you believed our report? Which means, which report will you believe? There's facts and there's truth. Fact is, this kid is in hospital. The truth is, Jesus has already healed him. So we're going to manifest prayer towards the Father. Because it says here in 1 Peter 2, 24, it says, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we have... Having died to sin, might live in righteousness. By his stripes, we are healed. See, the Bible says that anyone who's cursed who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree, which is speaking of the cross. He broke every curse. So we come in agreement now. When there's two and three gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of you. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Ezekiel. We know, Lord, your hand is upon him. We know that you've anointed him. So, Lord, I ask you now, by your mercy and by your grace, to touch that young man. Father, we thank you that that bacteria is cursed and out of his body. We thank you, Father, for no more infection, Lord. We ask you, Father, for the precious blood of Jesus to manifest on that child, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for complete healing. We believe in your report. Your report says, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will heal your diseases. So, Father, I thank you right now. Yeah, he'll live and not die, but he'll declare the works of the Lord. And we thank you, Lord. We rebuke the devourer over their life, Father. This is going to be a testimony to you, Lord. We stand in faith as brothers and sisters, Lord. We lift up will and curse dear Lord. We ask you to strengthen them in this time, for they have the authority over their son. And we ask you to lift them up and exalt them in the spirit, Lord, that their hearts do not waver, but they stand firm and grounded in the love of God. For this is the will of the Father. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus said that he come to set the captives free and to heal the brokenhearted, to, to, to raise the dead, to give sight to the blind. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We stand on your word, and your word is true. Let every man be a liar, because God does not lie. 
And we stand in faith, Father. We thank you, Father, right now for a good report. We thank you, Father, for Ezekiel. We speak into his spirit right now and says, rise up in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Let the hand of the Lord be upon him, Father, and bring him back to health, totally restored in the mighty name of Jesus. If you believe me, say amen. 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 And we rejoice in the victory of the cross. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've got Pastor Dorian giving him a round of applause. Hallelujah. Amen. Am I on? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. You can be seated. Hallelujah. It's good to be with you all again. And um, can we just honour our pastors, Pastor Grabs, Pastor Tony. I actually felt... To, to say, oh, hey guys, um, yeah, if you are growing, if you are growing here, then give our pastors a clap, because they are so worthy of, uh, of our honour and of our appreciation for what they're doing here and what they're sowing into us. Um, and the sacrifices they've made, the price they've paid. So um, I'm uh, forever grateful to our leaders because um, they'll answer to Christ at the end of the day and they take that seriously. And um, let's never lose sight of that. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for tonight, Lord. Thank you for your word that it's life to those who find it and it's healing to all their flesh. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're in this place, you're in this room, you're with us. You're opening ears, you're opening hearts and you're stirring hearts to receive what you have for us tonight. Thank you that not one of us would leave unchanged. Thank you, you are present. You guide us into all truth. You guide us to Jesus. You point us to Jesus. And we direct all glory to Jesus tonight. Amen. Amen. Uh, I was led to, I was praying about where to go tonight, and the Lord took me to my favorite scripture in Isaiah chapter 40. And I was a bit. Uh, not surprised, but I was like, okay, that's, that's interesting. That's, uh, you know how people talk about having a life scripture? Well, um, Isaiah chapter 40, verse, um, verse 31 is my, my life scripture. And there's a bit of a story, but I'll, I'll get to it. Uh, I won't read the scripture yet. But I remember when, before I got saved, I was working in an office. And I was in a law firm. And... Someone came in with a book and they put it, uh, they came in, they said, I'm new here, um, where can I sit? And I was in an office with three desks in it and I was in there alone and I said, man, there's two spare desks, take your pick. His name was Joe. And I, I remember Joe came in and he brought a book with him and the book had a picture of Jesus on the front cover and it said, the, it was called The Jesus I Never Knew. And I remember he put it on the desk, and we had a, that was a pretty funny 
workplace, a lot of weird things happened. But anyway, Joe, uh, Joe went out for lunch and, you know, he went out at like 12.30 and 1.30 came and Joe wasn't back and then 2 o'clock came and Joe wasn't back, 2.30 came and I thought, man, Joe's on a good wicket if he's, if he's scored a two or three hour lunch break. So I went to the boss and I said, hey, it's been four hours, how come Joe gets a four hour lunch break? I didn't say that. I said, look, Joe hasn't come back from lunch. And he goes, yeah, he won't be coming back. And he, I never saw him again. Uh, he obviously had an issue with the boss and I don't know what happened, but he never came back after lunch. But he, he left this book there. And that book sat there for about six months. And every day I'd walk in and go, oh, Joe's his book, I should get in touch with him and see how I'm going to get this book back to him and Joe, it's just a constant reminder but I didn't realise that that was God waiting for me to respond. That was a Jesus that I didn't know and that book sat there for six months and I didn't get saved through that book but I had an encounter with the Lord after about six months of that that book coming into my office and that's when I picked it up and began to read it and coming out of a very traditional guilt-ridden background I I started reading about Jesus I was taught you don't read the Bible so I went to this book and started reading it and it opened up this whole um, new view of who Jesus was and his love and his compassion and his truth and his heart for us and I was blown away and that's how I fell in love with Jesus through that, through that book. But it, what amazed me was it sat there for six months. It was like God was, God was waiting for me. God was waiting for me. I remember after I read it, I thought, I've got to get this book back to Joe. Um, it's changed my life. So I called Joe up and I said, Joe, um, I, I found him on Facebook and I said, hey Joe, I don't know if you remember me, we worked together for about three hours. <laughs> and I said, but you left your book here, I've just read it and it's changed my life and I've turned to Christ. And he goes, I'll never forget his words, he said, I wish that book would leave me alone. So Joe didn't bring that book in to get me saved. But that was the Lord waiting for me. And then, I, I, um, you know, as you do in the, the beginning of your journey, it, it's quite common. I felt uh, discouraged. And I was on the train one day and I was just, I was praying and I was saying, God, this is, this is hard. Like this is a, a hard journey and I was just feeling discouraged. And there was a, um, back then they had paper tickets on, <laughs> on the trains and there was this pensioner uh, rail ticket on the floor right between my feet and something said, pick it up. And so I was like, what am I going to pick this pensioner ticket up? But I picked it up and I turned it over and there was this scripture from Psalm 40 verse verse um, 31 and it was in beautiful old person handwriting 
You know, old people have that beautiful handwriting. And it said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. But the first thing I shared was about God waiting for us. He waits for us to draw near to him so that he can draw near to us, but he's there waiting. And then I read this scripture and it's encouraging me to wait on him. But he waits for us. I heard um, someone's testimony recently where they were taken into the spiritual realm and they saw angels. And he saw, one of the main things he saw were that angels who were sent to minister to us, he, one thing he said that stood out to me, he said, the angels were there to protect your will. They were there to make sure your will never got violated. And that was whether you wanted to do something right or something wrong. The angel would never violate your will. And it was almost there to, to guard your will because you have free will given by God. And they can't get in the way of that. But that, again, speaks of God waiting for us. That it's your will. He waits for you. He waits for your desire to draw to him. He waits for you to, to take that, that first step. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. But what do we do? What, is, what does God mean to wait? What does God mean when he says, wait on the Lord? Does that mean you chill? Man, I'm just waiting on the Lord. Um, sit on your hands. What does it mean to wait? I, as I was reading that, I was drawn to the beginning of this chapter. And when I began to, to read it, it all became clear to me. And it sets out kind of the stages of a believer's journey. And so that's what I want to go through tonight, but also highlight some of the, the warnings or the obstacles that can get in the way of every stage from beginning to as you progress. So if you go to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verse 1 to 3, or whatever you've got, the beginning of that scripture, Isaiah. Yeah, that's good. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now, obviously, this is the prophet Isaiah. He's prophesying about the future. But there is something in here that shows us about our journey with Christ. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. And when Jesus was on earth, he, he cried out, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how, how much I've wanted to gather you like a hen gathers chicks under her wings. But the thing I want to highlight here is comfort. The first thing God does when you draw near to him and you meet him is comfort. Comfort, comfort. Speak kindly. To Jerusalem. Kindly. His, his kindness. More than anything you... And I'm, I know so many of you 
have experienced his kindness because that's who God is. That's who, that's his spirit, that's his heart. Psalm 117 verse 1 to 2 says this, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Lord him, all you people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. His merciful kindness. And there are so many scriptures where you see kindness, but it's merciful kindness. And it's as though his kindness comes from his mercy. His kindness and mercy go together. And that's our first experience with Christ. That's our first experience of salvation. Psalm 119 verse 76 says, Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort. That is the first step of your journey with Christ. He just pours out his comfort. And I know that's what it was like for me. I felt those initial days of coming back to Christ, even months, it was like Christ was walking with me every step of the way. It was like he was... He was right there with me. His comfort, his mercy, his love, his direction. He was everywhere. But it's almost like he, after that, he, he withdraws a bit. And it's not, he's not withdrawing because for the sake of withdrawing. He's withdrawing because it's time to graduate to another level in Christ. Just a couple of nights ago, our two-year-old son Jacob, he's, we just decided, okay, it's time to get rid of his dummy. Um, and it's a comfort to him, but as a good father and mother, and you know, maybe we left it too long, but you've got to take it off him because you don't want him at 18 with a dummy in his mouth. But the Lord is the same with us. Yes, of course that comfort is there and in a way he'll never stop comforting us but it's like he, he withdraws some of that comfort to enable you to grow, to enable your, fo- your faith to grow, to enable your character to grow, to enable your endurance to grow. <clears throat> Isaiah 54 verse 8 says, With everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you. Wherever you see kindness, you see mercy. And maybe someone doesn't know what mercy is, but I've always liked this definition of mercy, that mercy is is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve because it's unmerited favour, whereas mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And that's his kindness and that's his merciful kindness. And if we go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 7, it says this, it says, But God, again, who is rich in mercy, because of his love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together with Christ, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace 
in this kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So comfort, comfort, kindness, because it's his kindness, it's his merciful kindness that leads us to repentance. Amen? So that's why the scripture is saying comfort, comfort, kindness. That's, that's God's heart for us at the beginning because it's that kindness that leads us to repentance. Now let's go to the next verse, if we can go back to Isaiah 40. It says, Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. Call out to her that her warfare has ended. Warfare with who? Warfare with God. He's saying your warfare with God has ended. And that's such an important uh, truth to grasp, especially on those early stages. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. Let's go there. This highlights the warfare we have that is ended, but it's warfare with God. And it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behaviour. But now, thank God for the but now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. But again, he's saying you've got to understand your warfare has ended with God. So many people um, believe that God is at war with them or that they're at war with God. And a lot of people even still saved and in church still have this mentality or this mindset and it hides sometimes that God is, God's warfare isn't ended. And it can manifest in guilt, it can manifest in shame, it can manifest in condemnation, it can manifest in so many different ways. But I wanted to share an illustration of this of a guy in, um, in the Second World War. I've got a photo of him. His name's Anoda. Uh, now, if we can go back to... Yeah, that's him. So, he was in the Japanese army in World War II. I'm, I like history. And eight months before the end of the war, so the war ended in 1945, eight months before the war... Inoda is sent to an island in the Philippines with the Japanese army. And they're taught in guerrilla tactics how to hide in the forest and attack the Americans and attack every, everyone they're, they're fighting against. And they survived there by doing raids on local villages and co eating coconuts and all that stuff. But in 1945, eight months after he was sent into the jungle, at the age of 22, the war ends. The war's over. Japan surrenders. There's peace now all over the world. And he's still in the forest 
And he notices, okay, there isn't as much fighting going on, but it doesn't occur to him that the war has ended. So he continues fighting. He continues having these skirmishes with the Philippines army, with the Philippine police from time to time. Uh, him and a few of his mates are still in the forest thinking the war's still going, but it's, it's actually ended. So the Japanese army found out about these few soldiers who didn't realise the war was over, and they said, we, need to, we, we want to get them out of the forest. So the first thing they do was they drop some leaflets from planes in the sky over the forest, and there's a picture of these leaflets. Not that, um, not that I can translate it for you, but it basically says, hey, the war is over, come out, there is peace. But they look at it, they look at these leaflets and they say, yeah, yeah, right, uh, this is propaganda from the Americans, as if um, they're just trying to trick us. And he, they were trained to be very sceptical. They were trained to be very sceptical. <clears throat> Toward the end of 1945, they, they went and dropped more leaflets. They even had letters from their loved ones now, saying, we love you. Um, the war's over. Come home. Again, sceptical. They said, no, this is, this is all a setup. <clears throat> they thought it was all fake. <clears throat> Two decades pass. <clears throat> one of his mates is killed in those two decades. <clears throat> Another one is killed by the Philippine policemen while they're having these shootouts in the forest. And this one guy in Japan gets fascinated by this Anoda guy and he, he makes it his mission. He's going to go into the forest and he's going to get this guy out. And so he finds him and he says, why, why, won't you, why won't you come out? And he said, I won't come out until my commanding officer comes and relieves me. He says, that's how I was trained and I won't leave the jungle and I won't believe the war is over until my commanding officer comes and tells me. And they end up tracking down his... His commanding officer, he, was a, he, he sold books in Japan. You know, this is 20 year, 22 years after the war, something like that. And they get this guy and they say, we need you to go in the jungle and command this guy to stand down. So they fly him over to the Philippines and he, he goes into the jungle. And, um, and there's, a, there's a photo of his commanding officer going into the jungle and the guy comes out in his uniform and he finally stands down. Dressed in his uniform, ready to take the order from his commanding officer. And this Anoda guy, um, he died in about 2014. But it's an it's a interesting story. But it's got a, it's got a lesson in there for us when, when the Bible says the war is over. And that our warfare is ended. A lot of people don't grasp that. And this is really important because your warfare 
with your true enemy can't begin until you realise your warfare with God is over. Your warfare with your true enemy can't begin until you realise your warfare with God is over. And how many, just like they did for him in the jungle, they dropped leaflets. Hey, it's over. How many times have leaflets been dropped saying, hey, the war's over. Peace has come. Christ has forgiven you. Christ has restored you. Christ has healed you. Christ loves you. But how many people, even though they, they might even be believers and they might even be in church, but they're looking at it with a kind of a level of skepticism. A level of unbelief, which is, is that really for me? Like, I know it's true at some level, but how true is it? And, or you know it in your mind, but you don't necessarily know it in your heart. It hasn't permeated those deep places of your heart. You can recite it. You can say the warfare is over, but deep down you can still feel like... God's angry, God's distant, you can have a religious mindset that I've got to, no, this can't be, I have to earn God's love. It can manifest in so many different ways. It can keep you suspicious of the word of God, where you pick and choose Some things you like, other things you say, okay, I don't know how true that is. Where you can be like that guy in the jungle where decades pass. That's the sad thing about it. Decades. And so much is wasted and so much time is wasted because of scepticism. And there are dangers there as well in in saying that your warfare has ended. Some people take the other extreme and they say the warfare has ended. I can do what I want. Grace has come. I'm I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. And so they take the other dangerous route, which is one of hyper grace, which says I'm forgiven no matter what I do. And the Bible is very clear that the grace of God has appeared to teach us to deny all ungodliness. And Paul says, should I go on sinning now that the grace of God has come? And he says, certainly not. And Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But there's dangers on both sides. <clears throat> and I, if we go back to Isaiah 40, and the reason why I want to Highlight this is because you can get stuck on one of the levels. You can get stuck at God's comfort and kindness and never progress. You can get stuck at the stage of salvation where the war has ended, but there's so much more 
but we, we stay there. There's a risk we stay there and say, I'm saved. Hallelujah to Jesus. And you come and sing a few songs on a Sunday and then go back and live your life because your, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but there's so much more. Let's continue that warfare has ended, that her guilt has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Basically saying, the Lord's punishment isn't on you. If you read this, you can see that it was the Lord's hands who actually took our punishment. So let's go down to verse 3. What's the next What's the next stage if we have salvation, end of warfare with God, we're reconciled with God because the war has ended. Then it's verse 3. The voice of one calling out, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Who's that? John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist come to bring? A baptism of? Repentance. We have salvation, we have reconciliation, and we have repentance. And there's a warning in, in this as well. But <clears throat> again, let's remember it's his kindness that leads to repentance. And you see it right here in this scripture. His kindness leads to repentance. That's John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. Repent. Repent. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. It says, Or do you have no regard for the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads to repentance? That is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, and seek his purpose for your life. To repent, to change your mind, an inner man to accept God's will. Let's go back to um, <clears throat> the psalm. So now that warfare has ended, the real war begins. Now that you're no longer an enemy with God, you're, you now have to face your true enemy. And he is an enemy. And he's a real enemy. And he has a real purpose against us. That, and he has a hatred for you because you are made in God's image and likeness. And I was thinking about that today, that you notice, even in nature, certain animals have a natural predator, like a cat and a dog. You don't, they don't have to be taught to go up. A dog doesn't have to be taught to hate a cat. It just, and that's the enemy with us. Not to give him glory or, or anything of that nature, but because you're made in God's image and likeness, he's your natural predator. And again, if you don't progress you can remain unaware of your enemy and the Bible says do not be unaware of the enemy 
as he, and his schemes. <clears throat> so when John's saying repent, he's saying, hey, the real war begins. The real war against your flesh begins because that's where he hides. When Paul talks about the weapons of our warfare, hey, he's saying, this is warfare. In one, just before he says your warfare is ended, but then he's talking about weapons of warfare that you're going to need because there's a real war that we're all engaged in and it's not flesh and blood, but we know it's the spiritual realm. <clears throat> so let's go. What's the, what's the danger of this stage of what are the dangers of the stage of repentance? I think they're all set out in the parable of the sower. So if we go there, because this is someone, this is someone who's just repented. Or in the, even in the process of repenting. Matthew chapter 13, verse 18 to 23. Listen then to the parable of the sower. And this is Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole parable of the sower, I think we know it. But this is Jesus explaining it. It says, listen then to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. It's interesting that it's when someone doesn't understand and the Bible says, in all you're getting, get understanding. In all you're getting, get understanding. And here Jesus is warning that unless you understand, unless you go deeper, unless you're consistent in the word, unless you're consistent in coming to church, unless you're consistent in fellowship, that's where your understanding actually develops. Unless you're consistent in prayer, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So there's a danger that you come to this next stage of repentance and all of a sudden it's... And people experience this all the time. It wasn't until I turned to Christ that all these attacks started coming. What's going on? But your natural predator is the evil one comes to snatch what was sown. This is the one sown with seed beside the road. The one sown with seed on the rocky places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution occurs because of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus highlights Two other dangers here in this stage, which is affliction and persecution. Affliction, oh, it's too hard. I'm, I, can't, I can't take this. Persecution. My family's turned on me. My workplace has turned on me. The heat's been turned up. These are the real dangers of this stage. And the one sown with seed among the thorns, <clears throat> this is the one who hears the word and the, the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth 
choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The anxiety, the worries of, of life and the deceitfulness of riches or wealth choke the word. And so I'm highlighting these because depending on where you are in Psalm 40, you've got to be honest with what's going on in your war so that you're not fighting a futile battle in the jungle for decades and not really understanding what the enemy is coming at you with or who, who your real enemy is. And it's interesting, he says, affliction there. When, when an enemy comes, any, any enemy, they don't think to themselves, hey, let me target this person's strongest area. <laughs> right? The enemy, an enemy in warfare, in w- w- whatever war you want to think about, they will always think, where are they susceptible? Where are they vulnerable? Where can we attack? And that's the same with your enemy. And so you'll notice him stirring up the weakest parts. <clears throat> but Jesus is warning here, man, people get, people get taken out. People get taken out here. So this, is, this isn't meant to be a, a downer tonight. It's meant to be an encouragement that, hey, this is a, a warning to us to be aware. <clears throat> I also believe that when it's making reference to John the Baptist here, there's another huge danger. And when I was praying, I felt God wanting me to highlight this and that it's, it's not just repentance that he's trying to highlight in this stage or it's not just these dangers that I've highlighted in the parable of the soul there's one other one that John the Baptist represents and that's offence that you at this stage you be careful of offence because that's yes John Jesus said no one in the uh, no one was greater than John the Baptist but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist But he also says, blessed is he who's not offended because of me. John was offended. And John was was offended because of the affliction and the persecution. And he actually sends word. John, the Baptist, who saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus himself with his own eyes. His whole purpose in life was to reveal the Lamb of God. John said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He saw it. He recognised Jesus before anyone else did. And a few chapters later, he's sending words saying, are you the one or should we expect another? If it can happen to John the Baptist, it can happen to anyone. And Pastor Rabs has shared a really good message about offence recently about offence at people but the one I want to highlight is the offence at God at God but offence at God's process <clears throat> alright let's go 
back to Isaiah 40. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hell, uh, hill be made low. And let the uneven ground a, become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. I'll, I'll read the first two lines again. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. What does that mean? What stage, what stage are we at here? What is God talking to us about here? It's related to, it's coming after repentance, so it's related to repentance, but what does it mean that every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low? And I was actually praying about that. I was like, what what does this mean? How does it connect here? And then I saw something and it, it clicked. And AJ, if you can play that, that video. <laughs> every valley will be lifted up and every mountain will be brought low. The top one is where you're relying on motivation. But the bottom one is where you're living by discipline. And when you're purely relying on your own motivation, you have the high mountains and you have the low valleys and then you go around the mountains and it's ups and downs and it's inconsistent and you're living from church service to church service to church conference to word to to sermon to YouTube channel but you're relying on stimulus even Christian stimulus to to keep your to keep the fuel in the tank but Jesus says we're to be his disciples not motivated ones but disciples And so with repentance comes discipline. And he disciplines every son that he loves. Motivation will not sustain you. Nobody wins a war without discipline. Paul talks about discipline... In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body and bring it unto subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. And there's the warning right there, that unless you're disciplined in that stage of your journey, again, you can get taken out. Paul's talking about disqualification here, but he's saying the antidote to disqualification is Discipline. I'm not. I'm not saying don't. uh, I'm not saying any of that stuff is bad. Listening to sermons or or anything like that. But you know in yourself what is sustaining you. Is it the disciplines of Christ? Is it the disciplines of prayer? Is it the disciplines? uh, The discipline of fasting? Is it? 
Is that sustaining you? Is it the discipline of fellowship? Is it the discipline of attending church as well? Paul says, I dis- discipline my body. Uh, he's not talking about weights. He's not talking about physical training. He's talking about his spirit. He's talking about his life. He says, I prayed in tongues more than all of you. That's discipline. And so when you look at it that way, you're at war. You've been enlisted into God's army. Not just us as an army, but you have your own battle. You have your own warfare that you're fighting. But you cannot win it without discipline. So, what is the purpose in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5? All right, so what is the purpose? If we go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, um, are you rebooting? Okay. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. In warfare, you take captives. You take prisoners of war. And Paul shows us what our prisoners of war are to be. We take captive every thought and purpose that is against Christ. We take that captive. And that's what True discipline produces in us where our whole, our daily, our whole life is centred around Christ. Every thought is centred around Christ. We don't have silos in our life anymore where I'm one thing at work and then I'm one thing at church and then I'm one thing with, at my family. It creates, discipline creates that consistency across your, your life. <clears throat> we refute arguments and theories and reasonings. That's what we're at war with. And every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. So Jesus says, when you fast, when you pray, when you give. He doesn't say, if you pray, if you fast, or if you give. 
He says, when you, when you do it. So, and the thing about these things, and I felt to encourage everyone with this tonight, you do not learn them and you don't make progress in them unless you do them. You can read every book under the sun about fasting, but unless you do it, you won't know what you're doing. <laughs> it's through that that you actually learn it. If I want to swim, if I want to learn how to swim, I can read every book there is under the sun about swimming. I can learn about the molecular structure of water. I can learn about, uh, what do you call it? Aerodynamics in the water or whatever you want. But until I actually get in the water, none of that is helpful for me. It's when I jump in the water and I start to drown or learn how to stay afloat that I actually learn how to swim. And it's the same with those three areas. With prayer, with fasting, with giving, with praying in tongues. You learn how to pray by praying. That's how you learn how to pray. Yes, it can be hard at first. Yes, it can feel unnatural at first. But God's promise... Let's go, back to, let's go back to Psalm 40 because I've, I've, lost, I've lost the sequence. Are we back there? Let's go down. Uh, yeah, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. A voice says, call out. And then it says, all flesh is grass. And what, what do we call out? What's this talk, talking about here? After we're, we're talking about, we're still talking about discipline. What shall I call out? All flesh is grass. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, the people are indeed grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. What are we calling out? The word of our God. So this is talking about the discipline of the word of God where we take the Word of God and we sit with God and we let His truth become a reality for us. We don't let our experiences and our feelings interpret or analyse the Word of God. We let the Word of God interpret and analyse our experience and our feelings. The next one is, go up on a high mountain. We're still in the area of discipline here. We've got the discipline of the word, 
and he says, go up on a high mountain. That is speaking about the discipline of prayer. Whenever Jesus went to pray, it says he went up the mountain to pray. You'll find in the Bible, whenever anyone encountered God, they went up the mountain. That's how you encounter God, but it's speaking about the discipline of prayer. <clears throat> then it says, Zion, messenger of good news, raise your voice forcefully. Jer Jerusalem, messenger of good news, the good news become, begins to become a reality to you. Raise it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God, behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his compensation is with him and his reward before him. I wanted to encourage everyone that there is a reward in all of this. That there is a reward in the sequence and there is a reward in the discipline. And Jesus says, go into your secret place and shut your door. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. To, to, I'll be, that is a scripture I used to use to get me into prayer. Because I, I used to go into God's presence and say, God, I'm not coming to feel, to necessarily feel anything right now. It's great if I do, but I'm not coming waiting for a feeling. Because if I'm waiting to feel something, I'm going to get discouraged. But I know that your reward is true. And I don't know when that, what that reward looks like. And I don't know when it'll come, but I have faith in your reward and that I'm here to pray. So there is a reward for every discipline. There is a reward for fasting. There is a reward for giving. We don't do it for the reward. We do it for God. We do it to be conformed to the image of Christ. But there that is a reality as well, that there is a reward for it. <clears throat> Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the victory. But we do have to walk it out. You are with us in our warfare.
We thank you. You've given us everything that pertains to life and to holiness, that we have everything we need through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern. Patterns can be attractive because they're repetitive, they're predictable, they're safe. But they require no faith. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We don't come to be conformed to the world. We come to be conformed to the image of Christ. We don't come to be conformed to the world. We come to be transformed. Lord, we thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your mercy. And I thank you that wherever each person is at, Lord, I thank you there is more. That anyone who is feeling discouraged would be encouraged by knowing that there is more. That their warfare is not in vain. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you that any mind that is anxious or overwhelmed with scepticism, that you calm those anxious thoughts. I thank you for the gift of faith. We love you, Jesus. We adore you. We thank you. We give you glory. Thank you for the great work you're doing in each of us, in us as a body. And we know you will take it unto completion and we agree tonight to participate in that completion Amen Amen Let's give the Lord a hand
Thank you.